Welcome to the 403 Forbidden Podcast. In this final episode, our lovely curators, Eula 5, will talk about the affordances of the digital sphere in the curatorial context. 403 Forbidden is a digital exhibition that explores the way identity and ownership are maintained and negotiated in digital spaces. At the apex of the digital revolution, we have become experts at building and curating our online identity, which transcends our physical limitations. As we carefully navigate sensibilities of taste and content, form judgments, and learn from immaterial interactions with one another, we establish our critical consciousness. This agency is a rite of passage. It draws us closer to our two-dimensional avatars and allows us to see beyond the scope of their purely representational function. They are us and we are them. And we are Eula Collective. The overarching theme of our exhibition is ownership online. Hi, I'm Kalina. Hi, I'm Neo. Hi, I'm Razia. Hi, I'm Candid. And I'm Nama. I think while we're talking about privacy and ownership among the virtual platform, we should also be talking about its benefits to acknowledge that it has never been this easy and efficient during past pandemics in history. The internet has become an inseparable part of most people's lives right now. It is providing such easy ways of accessing resources and building, maintaining social connections between individuals. The internet is proving to be a powerful tool for people to support one another, especially fundraising, Scientists and researchers are also turning to the internet to share innovative ideas on how to tackle COVID-19 as for now. Many can continue business and school from home thanks to modern technology and commercial cloud solutions. Social media platforms are amongst the most widely used sources of information in the world. The comfortable and inexpensive access to the internet and many re registered users in these platforms make them one of the easiest and most effective ways to disseminate information. They have also become helpful for the public to maintain communication with friends and families to reduce isolation and boredom associated with anxiety and long-term distress. But there is the possibility that information transmitted is not current or has not been subjected to peer review. It's invalid, incorrect, not applicable to our environment, or even false. So that means we cannot fully trust everything that we learn from the internet. Instead, we need to look at things just like how we look at things daily in our reality critically. Arts activism traditionally performed offline in this pre-social media era, combines that art's creative and emotional capacity with activist strategy, planning to push for meaningful change in society online. But during the COVID-19 pandemic, arranging protests and political movements in the streets has proven challenging due to social distancing orders and the potential of spreading virus. McPherson and Maza wrote in their article that digital art can help increase community engagement and political participation from human rights advocacy to campaigns against discrimination and economy inequality. Hence why people, 
couple of campaigns around the world, such as the climate hashtag climbing strike movement initiated by Greta Thunberg have moved online through social media. The movement has now turned into hashtag climate strike online, where hundreds of social media posts pour in every week. And that is how powerful the internet could be utilized for gathering people from around the world to aim for one goal. Also, artistic posters on Twitter and dance choreography on TikTok have helped increase appeal for the movement among young people worldwide and continue it in a more accessible way. Yeah, I think this this whole idea of art activism is very interesting to me uh, because it kind of is built on a duality. Like it's a two polar opposites. There is the aesthetization of politics and the politicizing of, of aesthetics. So whereas in the first instance, the aesthetization of politics, um, it's more of art as a tool of a given totalitarian regime uh, to kind of create propagandistic messages or soften, you know, very um, strong political restrictions. Politics of aesthetization is more so the opposite of that, how artists are engaging within the conversation with through activist art that's actually meaningful. And I think that video for example, is an excellent way for engaging in this like COVID-19 climate because of its possibility of it communicating aesthetic values, but also it's a very accessible form. You can say things, you can connect things, you can, it's dynamic, it's interesting and so on. So I think that's like a very interesting point to make. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, what you were mentioning, Neil, kind of reminds me of um, you know, all the, the civil rights um, activism that's been happening over the summer and how you've seen so many um, of those little like slides and little graphics on Instagram kind of like, oh, racism explained or whatever, you know, like for these like bite-sized, aesthetically pleasing graphics. And I've, I've seen a few, um, I guess, think pieces about that, about how, you know, in a sense, it kind of detracts from maybe actual activism where it detracts from like the, the actual theory and concepts of them because you're just kind of like made they're made for like the social media um platform you know they're kind of words mm-hmm. um kind of go in detail it's kind of just like these little bite-sized things that are shareable and I even like the tiktok dances you know like just like who gets popular on tiktok versus who doesn't and who gets more exposure that that um that plays into that so yeah I think it's a really interesting point to bring up so it's like it, there's definitely like benefits to it of like giving awareness to those issues, but they're all you're also kind of confined and restricted by the platform and their algorithms and how they measure engagement. Because at the end of the day, like Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and whatever don't really care about you know your your activism. You know exactly. I think that social media, in the sense, because of its immateriality uh, to an extent, so it makes it makes sharing and distributing of knowledge easier. Um, but because of its immateriality, uh, you know, you a lot of people, I feel, uh, repost something or, you know, get into fights in the comment section <laughs> of something. And, you know, they, they, they're like checking out that box mentally, whether they re- realize it or not, that they're like contributing, and you know, whatever. But it, it, at the end of the day, it really comes to also the physicality of the aspect. Like, don't just repost the fact that there's like a 
food crisis going on, that there's not enough food, that the pandemic has rendered a lot of people incapable of affording a lot of stuff. But you have to like also go out physically and fill the fridges that uh, in Toronto specifically, CF uh, Toronto, uh, TO, I believe they're... Instagram handle is uh, have provided for you know community. Yeah, no, no, no. CF oh, okay. two or three underscores to is a is a project in Toronto that's ongoing. Uh, it's a connection of fridges and pantry boxes where uh, it's kind of a mutual aid idea. Mm-hmm. You come, you leave food like a package, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables tampons and other other household needs and whoever and people come and take whoever needs it they take so it's like that kind of idea but it's again like you need to physically go outside you need to actually like you know do the the thing uh, do the um, action of buying stuff and putting it in there so like that's like actually the tangible thing to do and then you know your social presence and support of it is just connection (laughs) to it yeah um to echo back what you were talking about um i do think the uh, social media it's like a double-bladed sword because especially for um like tiktok instagram and for like a younger generation not all of them are using the platform to to be part of the uh this kind of activities like they, they're just using the hashtag or using um, the discussion to make themselves popular. So there's like people like going out, going out to the marching and like take photos of themselves and be like, oh, I'm supporting this, but actually they're not, they're just using it. So it's like, how do you tell the the line behind this kind of like social media posts and what's the impact that they're doing and like what they're causing like a influence to even younger generation yeah exactly and you put it very well that it's a double-edged sword i read an article uh, a few years ago uh, it was featured in bitch magazine and it was about social capital and it was about how you know crowdfunding crowdsourcing and you know like the gofundme campaigns for either top surgery or gofundme campaigns for cancer treatment and and stuff those are really good yes but their underlying capital that's associated with it so someone will have enough uh following to actually be able to successfully raise funds for this very necessary thing while other people don't have that capital and therefore do not raise enough funds. And it was example given there was this person who had diabetes who needed money to purchase their medication. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately they were unable to raise it. And before the campaign, even like just before they hit their goal, unfortunately they passed away. So it's like, again, this, this very necessary thing that this thing that should be provided by uh, governments uh, is based on how much social capital you have online. So that's, you know, kind of like a very pivotal point of how online activism happens mm-hmm. too. Yeah, totally. So yeah, like speaking of that, like let's kind of like just bring back like, the benefits of the digital platform. So like all this kind of like movements, their um, sustainability and its ability to captivate 
audiences suggest this artist approaches can be an excellent medium for activism in the digital space, for sure. And um, digital arts activism has the power to help people channel suffering, trauma, or outrage into persuasive messages. It is definitely a platform that is so open to the public that everyone has access to express and be affected by others' art. So let yeah, like what we were talking about earlier about the digital platform being a double, uh, double blade sword. It's it's just like anything else in the world. You can't really look at it from one side. You have to look at it from both sides, and it's inevitable to have some bad influence within it. But yeah, we we just have to also um, emphasize the good part of it. And I feel like for the curatorial world, many galleries and museums are closed or have capacity limits due to COVID-19, of course. And this situation is forcing people to switch their focus to the internet platform. And ever since lockdown started, um, there's like tons of curators and artists started to build their own online space for like a kind of new art experience and like many institutions have turned to a vast um, potential of the internet to keep things ticking one of the first to implement an online exhibition was the beijing-based ex-museum which has postponed its opening but enlisted artist pete jadong chang to create a gamified online museum experience so I quote the artist, he said, online exhibitions will have their, uh, their place in the future and the epidemic accelerated the process. And he also said, I wonder rather, I would rather not have a specific boundary between online and offline, virtual and physical, especially for an emerging contemporary museum in Beijing. I feel like that could apply to all the galleries and museums around the world because it is also something that's becoming part of our lives, the technology and digitizing everything. So yeah, it's not just galleries and museum, but also art in general. Yeah, and this trend has just come about in relation to the coronavirus. Uh, Google Arts and Culture has for many years now been compiling virtual tours of museums around the world and with that, you can tour over 500 art institutions worldwide. Aside from museums and gallery spaces, do-it-yourself online art exhibitions have been showing up around the world. Um, curator Polak said, the beauty of this online exhibition is that it's a global exhibition and it's accessible to everyone. I'm hoping that all of these websites and Instagram accounts link up to each other so that we can really start a global dialogue. Making sure that we have a diverse group of voices is incredibly important to me at this time. I just feel like online exhibition indeed has so much potential and possibilities, especially when it comes to inclusiveness. The internet makes the whole event more global in terms of the participants and reduces the stress for traveling and access in ways.
Mm, yeah, uh, I do agree with you. No, that was an interesting point. And I think in addition to this, the internet and social media expand the possibility of being a curator in different ways. Everyone can curate their own page on Instagram, for example, uh, something which was somehow elite uh, in the past is now accessible for many. This is somehow similar to what happened to painting after photo photography, the easy way of reproduction of photos, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I feel like it's also switching the concept or the definition of what a curator is. Because like some people, they're investing a lot of energy and time, like perfecting their um, Instagram page and you can also say they're curating their page yes. and even for like tumblers or like other um, social media platforms that's in the past when you're organizing your page you're also curating the page so it's like how do you like spread the consciousness of actually being involved in art no matter what platforms you're on so that's a that's a really interesting point of view and um, the, the practice of staging art exhibition online um, was once criticized for lacking what German philosopher Walter Benjamin calls an aura of authenticity, um, a sensory experience that results from an artwork being uniquely present in time and space. But, you know, however, social media's growth has helped online exhibition fulfill the basic principles of art. Um, that it should be visible, versatile, suggestive, and transmissible. And the viewing experience is much more enhanced as now artworks can be shown online with high resolution, can be played back, or even played on loop and examined thoroughly and intensively studied by a diverse audience range. So that's like kind of echoing back to the inclusiveness all that we were talking about, I just feel like that's why we include three distinctive artworks created by three brilliant artists representing different perspectives and utilizing technology to express themselves through their digital artworks. And we're bringing an online interactive game developed by Julia McVeek, um, which allows the user to explore the realness within the digital world and the blurred boundary between real and virtual. And we have a video created by Jia Jia Zhang, which contains 3D models of physical replicas and is looking to tell a story of self-reflecting and personal understanding of her own philosophy. And we're also introducing a digital painting done by Jen Liv, where she aims to portray herself in the digital realm and discuss the choice between virtual and physical body in the digital age. This is the end of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in.